Blog Talk Radio.
kind of revelation, maybe, uh, to your, uh, to, to, to myself, and for that same reason to, to others, you know, that others may uh, see that same revelation, if you will. And uh, I, I think I found it in this, in this particular book. I found some of it. I, I can't say that I agree with the entirety of it, but at the same time, it's more of a manual for awakening the, the third eye and uh, the penal gland, you know. Um, and, but it, but, it, but it, 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 it's so important in the sense that it, what I'm going to touch on tonight, I, I, it's impossible to read the whole book, but um, I just want to capsulize some of the, some of the initial uh, concepts. rather self-explanatory
gone windswept. On the jagged edge of the summit, wind blows harshest against the storm, carving the face of the mountain that withstands the winds alone. In the heat of the sun and the cold of night, rain and snowstorms, its strength of spirit remains unmoved as the rock is carved deeper into the mountain. I feel so fortunate in so many ways that I have been able to um, um, collect so many wonderful pictures, old pictures, very old pictures, uh, 100, 200-year-old pictures, and uh, 150-year-old pictures, or whatever, as long as the photography has been around. And in some cases, paintings as well, you know, that uh, pictures of paintings and but it's our collection. But I, uh, you know, they they so enhance my work and uh, allow me to uh, convey, you know, the, the, all the things that I want to say and things that I can't say in words can only be expressed in visual. My last poem tonight is called. one before the last. <laughs> it's called A Breakaway Day. There's a quaint picture that I drew that goes with it. This is on a special day, the last week after that I wrote it. It's kind of an interesting day where I was waiting around for the internet guy to come. <laughs> out to be a, uh, uh, it's, a, it's probably a good day, because uh, I got the internet back up and running, but it goes this way, a new day was born today, a day that hasn't been overwrought yet by stresses of release, this day is breaking away from worries, work, anger and despair. Pain and suffering are not yet here, but may arrive at any time. I'm breaking away from today into a happy and peaceful state of mind. I wonder if I can break away from today naturally. Huh. I'm happy with a few cups of coffee and a breakfast of toast and bread. I am warm with my jacket on. I am alarmed by the morning calm brought upon by lack of phone calls or other distractions. Breaking away for one day is a wonderful vacation of body and mind. Sitting here writing this poem and thinking of what to say is a form of breaking away from today. I feel like taking a walk. January sun is shining, though it is cold outside and ice and snow are on the ground. The roads and walkways are salted and sanded, and my body seems to be without new aches or pains. This is a breakaway day for me, if there ever was one. I may walk to the post office to pick up my mail. Perhaps something has arrived that I was not expecting, but I hope not a shock or a bad surprise. I no longer smoke tobacco or drink bourbon or ale. I no longer eat candy or cake or pie. I have few vices left that will shorten my life, except breaking away from a newborn day. I really enjoy breakaway days. Leave that one up to everybody. Everybody has their own methods of breaking away and doing a day. Um, and 
have one more that I want to uh, I, for those of you who know, I, I, I do a lot of, uh, you know, I do an alternative show as well on Tuesday nights, and union show on Wednesday nights, and this show on Thursday nights when I'm able to, but the, this particular one, this particular poem I, I felt Tried to try to understand my country. Try to understand other countries and try to understand nationalism and try to understand why we're so brainwashed and loyal to certain countries and forms of countries and ways of life, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. You know where kind of brainwashed into believing in them, you know, from an early age, which is what keeps everything going, you know. Um, it was told to me by someone who knew well that the Catholic Church states that if you can get a child You can have a child and teach him religion by six years old, then you can have that child for the rest of your life. The child will be pretty much a slave, brainwashed slave to, to that religion. Or, and that goes for patriotism, nationalism, all the other things that we try to um, place on people, you know, to, you know, the governments and schools and try to um, put, you know, uh, to, to make people conform and to make people understand and work together in some form of herd uh, mentality, you know, uh, all working toward the same methods of control, you know, methods of madness, if you will. But, you know, um, this, is, this explains this. I, I guess when I was looking at this week, I was, about, I was uh, this week, about this month, um, I was quite, in, quite a a little upset, actually, about the Charlie Hebdo massacre there and what brought that upon and the insanity of the Hebdo group that uh, would uh, provoke this kind of action. Their racist uh, glance on, in that magazine, you know, just against Muslims. It was just really a, a ridiculous thing, and we're, I think we're going to, we'll talk about that a little later when I get into the third eye, and the, uh, and the law of karma, and the understanding of spiritual laws. Um, this, this particular poem, it's too short, but it says, false flag dream. False flags of dreams and schemes and conquests are only pieces of tattered memories sewn into patterns of stars and stripes and colors. No one knows what the symbols on their flags mean, but to not pledge allegiance to them is treason. 
I remember as a child I had pledged allegiance to a flag. It made little sense to me. I thought how foolish it was to pledge my young life to a cross on a pole. But my teachers all said I must, and my parents said if I didn't, they would scold me. I was always alone in my rebellion then, when everyone recited their pledge. No one seemed to understand what they were really doing or saying. It was only a rote statement of idealism and loyalty to a piece of cloth. I was told to believe in one nation, one religion, one God, one way of life. I always wondered why. I refused to believe the lies. I was a student of life, history, philosophy. I'm a creator of ideas, sculpture, books, poetry, paintings. I am a builder of dreams. I am a creator of love and hate and schemes. I am the fulfillment of my desires, the maker of fire, and the creator of my allegiance. It's kind of goes with the turf, you know, I guess, of being a contrarian like I am. But one who sees, who refuses to see the surface of anything. You know. But it's only because I believe, and the reason I say this is because I believe that all poets and writers and painter artists and so on, they, they don't They don't all live in this. They don't all see the same things. And it's their third eye. They're dependent upon that third eye, really, to 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 be to see above and beyond the norm, to rise above the norm, to rise above it, because that's really where. computer trying to bring it back to my studio page. 
right here. And uh, I, uh, again, I wanted to uh, introduce this book to you. It's called The Finding of the Third Eye by Vera Stanley Alder. And uh, it's a kind of a very fragile book here. It's falling apart. It's only a paper binder. It looks like it was a uh, self-published, you know, self-published book in that period. But there's books like this back in the 60s. This information was around, but it was very, very, very cloistered and very um, um, how can I say? Well, I was very young at that time. Very, very young. You know, um, in 1960, and I'm sure most of my listeners were very young in 1960. And um, if, if they were even born. But back in the 60s,
until books like this had to be self-published and brought about by people who had studied this stuff. And, of course, you're fighting against science. You know, science was trying to establish its credit credentials in these areas where, you know, trying to validate different dimensional levels of, in existence and that had already been understood through the chakras and through Hinduism and through uh, Buddhism and, and through the great mystics, you know, of the times had, had, had studied these things, but, but not really made them so clear to the extent that, that uh, they were, uh, they were uh, constantly in a, a dispute uh, with science. Uh, but she goes into some of the chemical and some of the uh, physical chemical concepts and so on and so forth in the first few chapters. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to discuss the secret knowledge, which is chapter three of this book. And uh, it's only seven to page 17, but it's a very large book. Chapter 3, she talks about the secret knowledge. And she says, Having studied our world according both to the modern matter of fact, science, and the less orthodox modern ideas, let us now turn the, and plunge into the past and see what our ancestors knew and how their knowledge helped them. They prophesied the long, dark age of ignorance from which we are at present emerging. That ignorance has engendered in us the habit of scoffing at everything which is not ordinary, normal, or able to be weighed and measured by scientists. The scientists themselves have reached a point where they are no longer dealing with purely physical or chemical things. They have pushed upwards through the great scale of vibrations until their heads are in the clouds of conjecture. Perhaps they dare not speak of the possibilities they conceive. Let us leave them hesitating in that exciting position and start a tour of exploration on our own. In a universe full of trillions of stars of constellations and solar systems, there is one minute minute little revolving speck of matter which we call our Earth. This speck of matter is covered with millions of microscopical uh, creatures called human beings. And the strange thing is that these microscopial creatures consider themselves important. Each minute, one of them is able to feel that he is more important than the whole universe upon which he is but a speck. Are these creatures really important? And if so, why? Looking at them dispassionately, we can see that they're is at least one remarkable thing about them. Almost any one of them, by training his microscopial, training his microscopial brain, is able to visualize the past, present, and future, not only of his own little person, country, or planet, but of the whole universe. Within his tiny personality, there is locked a power which will give him unlimited understanding of things quite beyond his physical reach a dynamic capacity to weld the forces of nature with a mind of which he knows not the limits. Man is an animal, but he is an animal embodying a god. The ancients were much more alive to this, to his potentialities than we are now. As we explore it, will, uh, as we explore, it will take us some time to decide whether man knew more thousands of years ago than he does today, and whether he was a finer being. This planet is infinitely older than most of us imagine, and so is the history of mankind. Archaeologists are continually having to push back their dates further into the past. Much learned in uh, history books by the last generation is obsolete and must now be unlearned. Civilizations had been rising, falling, and disappearing eons before the men 
who owned the Paleolithic skulls were born. All these things are revealed to us in the ancients or secret wisdom, which is a collection of teachings handed down from the very earliest times, explaining man, um, his origin, his composition and destiny, and also the purpose of the universe. This wisdom has come to us in unchanged form, concealed and taught throughout the world under the garb of many of the ancient religions. We will trace this in a latter chapter, but begin now by a study of the um, wisdom itself as it is still to be found in the East. This teaching professes to expound to us the few great fundamental laws upon which we are founded the life and progress of man and the universe. Let us endeavor to shake off the habits of thought imposed upon us by the generations of the Dark Age and consider with an open mind the heritage bequeathed to us by our earlier ancestors. The great laws can be best be named for us in English as follows. 1. Repetition The microcosm and the macrocosm Evolution with three, cause and effect, or karma, and rebirth. And number four, the plan of creation, or the seven planes. The principle of the first of these laws is, as in the microcosm, man, so in the microcosm, macrocosm, the universe. It asserts that the same system of form, time, and motion runs through the whole universe, so that if we properly study an atom or a cell, we will obtain the key to the workings of a man, a planet, or a constellation. In that way, through a knowledge of period, period, periodicity or the regular periods of time, which occur on a small scale in nature, the ancient mathematicians were able to calculate the stars, their movements, and thereby the evolutionary stages in history on a large scale, and to prophesy conditions and influences thousands of years ahead. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that totally amazing? It is disconcerting to find that the conceptions of the very ancient sages tax the modern man's mind to the utmost. Even to understand their meaning and visualize their ideas takes effort and practice. Much less could modern man originate such profound theories himself. And the ancients accomplished these things without, so far as we know, any of our modern mechanical aids. This great law of repetition declares that there is an ordered arrangement within the universe with certain periods of time and patterns of form repeated up in the scale and governing the tiniest to the greatest. It asserts that the little things are a mirror of the larger ones, and everything is not only a replica, but intimately connected with everything else. For instance, if you want to study a solar system, you can study an atom. And if you want to study animal, plant, or mineral, or even solar life, you will find it all represented in the body of man himself. Man, know thyself, was the ancient command written above the temple door. If we persevere with the fascinating study, we will find that in the form of every human being the universe is presented to us. We can inspect the solar system of his atoms, this mineral world in which its most active and creative form in his interior laboratory, and the physical development of animal life from its lowest to its highest form. Um, in his embryo. In his nature, we will find a mixture of the passions and peculiarities of all living creatures. We can also trace an intimate relationship with all the planets through the interplay going on in his body with the cosmic and planetary rays and a connection with the world of magnetism and electricity as I'm sorry, electricity as well. And finally, we will discover that man has in his puny frame the 
the capacity to connect his mind with the highest unseen cosmic intelligence, the mind of nature. The first great law, then, that of the macrocosm and the microcosm, gives us at once a much more comprehensive outlook on life and therefore the capacity of bringing vision and breath into our creative work. The second great law is that of evolution. Everything in life is evolving upwards and onwards to a higher and more perfect state, having had its beginning in an uncreative, unconscious, and elementary form and growing and progressing through striving, sacrifice, and struggle to a condition of creative, self-conscious, potent strength. Beginning at the lowest end of the scale with the minerals, we know that they have an elementary consciousness or mentality, that they strive, struggle, and become tired, and that they are sacrificed to or absorbed by the kingdom above them, the vegetable kingdom, which lives upon them. The vegetable kingdom has a higher consciousness or vibration than the mineral kingdom and the greater power for struggling and adapting itself. In its turn, it is sacrificed to the animal kingdom who feed upon it. The animals may seem to uh, the plants to be some kind of deities, which is the wonderful with wonderful and, to them, miraculous powers of movement. The sum of vegetables and mineral experiences absorbed by the animals who depend on this for their life and evolution. In return, it is said that the animals provide, by their breathing, the carbon dioxide upon which plants exist during the day. And, upon, and some of the animals are becoming extremely advanced in consciousness and are full of what can be described as, for them, spiritual aspiration. Mankind are their deities, and they strain and strive to attain in such things as speech and work to the miraculous activities of their gods. The adoring eyes of a dog in his efforts to talk and the keenness and pride of an elephant at work are instances in point. Animals are sacrificed in every way to men who use them to the utmost. He absorbs the sum total of mineral, a vegetable, and animal experience into his body and depends upon their qualities for his life and evolution. In return, he can teach and care for them and aid them immeasurably by his love and example. We continue up the scale and find that in the kingdom of man, the same process is going on. The more advanced type of human being is sacrificing his lower nature and striving to reach and copy a higher kingdom of beings than his own. He calls these beings angels, gods, or deities, and has uh, much difficulty in understanding their wonderful capabilities as the animals have in understanding his own. But just as the animals depend upon man for the final development of their intelligence, so man depends upon the subtler and more inspiring mind of the angels for his own awakening. We are told also that just as man depends for his assistance and progress upon the lower kingdoms of nature, so the angel would depend upon the offering and sacrificing of man's soul force for that for its own nourishing and developing. Mankind and the angels can only reach certain a greater heights of realization through the interplay of mutual service. In accordance with the great first great law of repetition, we realize that the process must continue, and therefore we are bound to infer that the angels are also sacrificing to and striving to reach a higher kingdom of beings than themselves. The ancient wisdom is mapped out for us by the pattern of these angel communities and hierarchies. As an amazing visit of worlds ahead of us is thereby opened up for our consideration. Or, I'm sorry, an amazing vista of worlds ahead of us. The third great law is that of karma and rebirth. I want to, uh, just before I go to this law, I just want to say that um, I'll, I'll move on from that. Uh, let me move on from that. The third great law is that of karma and rebirth. <clears throat> 
This states that nothing in life is wasted, and all things share alike the chances of gaining ultimate perfection and of going through the full course of experience and development. We see that in the physical world, as soon as a plant or other living creature has had its particular span of life, it, di it dies or withers, and the cells which form it disintegrate. But their chemical constituents come together at a later period to form a future plant or animal, closely resembling the former one, but plus always a stage of further adaptability and change, showing that the consciousness and memory of the former plant has been reborn too. When we come to a highly specialized consciousness, like that of a human being, we are told that it is being continually reborn upon the earth, and that it in it, that it struggles and strives upwards, perfecting and developing itself through numberless um, hard lessons and in, 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 inevitable mistakes, until finally it reaches a stage of creative and conscious power, which we call superhuman, and some call crisis, you know, that perfect stage, you know, Buddha. And the, the method by which experience and progress is assured is expressed in the ancient law of karma. This word is not uh, even an equivalent in the English language. Its meaning is cause and effect, or action and reaction. We are told that all of life is built upon the law of opposites as in the negative and positive poles of electricity, day and night, heat and cold, summer and winter, good and evil. The constant friction between these opposites causes development, change, adjustment, in other words, originality, or the free will which functions throughout all creation and through which creation itself learns eventually to become created. All this happens so slowly to us that at times we do not realize that there is progress because we become confused by the backward crouch of the waves of progress before a further push forward. Hmm. It's interesting. You know how waves come and pull back and go forward but still continue to erode and advance. Um, probably we are living at a time of a backward crouch now and perhaps that is why so much that is bad in humanity seems to be driven to the surface, so that to some the world appears at present to be deteriorating. The laws of rebirth and karma work hand in glove, so to speak, and we are told that mankind came into being because spirit, or the life force behind everything, wished to develop more creative power. <coughs> this development can only be accomplished by the spirit being so imprisoned and confined in matter or flesh that it forgets its oneness with wisdom and has to find everything out afresh through fighting and experience. So we are told that virgin spirit divided itself into factions and by ensouling the egos of man and all other forms of life sank itself into the heavy imprisoning matter of this world and is slowly and patiently fighting its way back to truth and light and power. The human ego evolves steady, its egos evolve steadily, each undergoing constant rebirth, until it gradually attains to a knowledge of the laws of the universe through karma, or through the effect of its own acts and thoughts, achieving power and strength through the mastery of one law after another, until at last it reaches omnipotence both physical and spiritual. We might say that the friction between the opposite poles of spirit and flesh causes, as in electricity, light or energy, which is creative force power. The planets and earths and races of mankind, the animal, vegetable, mineral kingdoms also reincarnate, all being under the same law. We must mention here that it is not possible, according to the secret teachings, for man to be reborn as an animal, because however low he might sink in his own kingdom, he could not retrogress in 
slower vibration. This theory, called Chandler's migration of souls, is held by certain peoples who have allowed their former knowledge to become distorted. In other words, according to this, you're not going to ever be... Uh, you might take on the form, but you're never going to have that. You're never going to be a lower animal than you are now. I mean, one of the reasons certain cultures are so advanced over others is because of these traditional religious um, imprisonments. Can you imagine thinking you're an untouchable? You know, what does that do to your um, self-esteem? You know, can you imagine being think that you're going to die and come back as a goat or a cow? Or accepted quite naturally, but most of the Eastern peoples, and has been for until centuries, so that whether we believe in it or not, we should go into the theory as fairly and impartially as if we were studying their ideas on art or agriculture. As a rule, human beings are unable to remember anything about any past lives they may have had. Of course, there are exceptions, and many people have collected a great deal of evidence
quality in life because the egos are choosing their own ways of learning life's lessons, which can only be learned through experience and suffering. Believing this, then, we could blame our parents for nothing since we are the masters of our own fate and reap exactly as we have sown in the past, the effect of the cause or karma. And I told you this is exactly, you know, we choose our fate. We choose to come back. This is what they're saying. We choose to come back in some, in the way that we come back, whether we live, die, you know, uh, homeless, uh, paraplegic, uh, you know, whatever condition we come back in is a condition that we came back to, to, to embody and try to live through to understand that part of our nature to correct it and to um, absolve our, 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 our um, prejudices, you know, and our, um, our small thinking and, you know, uh, cruelty and, you know, these things. Um, so, yeah, in the last uh, few minutes I have here, I'm going to, I'm going to just try to go through this as I can. Um, we are told that certain groups of people incarnate together at intervals. In this way, old injuries and insults must be recompensed. Old enmities uh, finally adjusted and old loves allowed to continue and to grow and beautify. Nothing is lost. Nothing is wasted. Everyone finally reaches the same goal of perfection, although they are all in such different stages and classes now. No man becomes perfect or attains his goal so long as there is a single feeling of enmity between him and others. Again, no man becomes perfect or attains his goal so long as there is a single feeling of enmity between him and another, or a score that has not been settled and wiped out by service and friendship. This is what Christ meant when he gave us that difficult injunction to turn the other cheek and to offer thy cloak uh, also to him who shall take thy cloak. Uh, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we cannot combine to whom the cloak belongs. These conceptions are very difficult for a selfish world to grasp as yet, and few of us have the pluck to try them out. We limit ourselves to being possessive. The great things we can have, wisdom, health, and power, are all pervading and cannot be divided. We can only develop and be shared. They can only be developed and shared. Possessiveness, on the one hand, on the other hand, causes wars, cruelties, jealousies, and suffering. It can never do any good and usually despoils the most beautiful thing in life love. Therefore, if we can once believe in reincarnation, we would realize that the fear is wasted effort, because though we have suffered death and pain often before, we are here again, and pain is something of our own making, and it its paralysis is, it paralyzes us, rather, and renders us stupid. Also, we can see that it is better not to think evil, unkind, or worried thoughts, because by doing so, we are causing effects, which we will have a lot of work in putting right again. Thoughts are things, and when we unloose an ugly or harmful thing into the world, we shall be obliged to remove it. Thoughts persist in their ethereal regions and are connected with the one to whom made them until they are disintegrated through his efforts. The fourth great law is that of the plan of creation. Let me, let me go back to that, and we've probably run out of time already, but I just want to uh, say we'll talk, we'll, I'll finish this uh, next week, right where we stopped, because I believe it's important to on the plan of creation is essential. And the remarkable, remarkable things in this book that, that are stated. And, uh, for instance, the next chapter,
chapter is how we are made. I'll explain to you um, how we are developed and how the different levels of consciousness and how we are classified in, in different aspects of our bodies and minds. And uh, it always leads to the opening and the awareness of who we are. It goes into astrology. It goes into the uh, yin and yang and the male-female male concepts of who we are and what we are. And it's just a, a, a wonderful book. And it's a wonderful um, uh, exercise in uh, finding, again, the, um, the third eye. And uh, with that, I'm going to end tonight's, tonight's uh, um, show. And I'm going to thank you all for joining me tonight. I hope you did, and I hope you will join me next week when we continue this fascinating study on the third eye. And understanding ourselves, understanding the, the multiple dimensions that we are, how they are, how we attain them, how do we understand them, how we live in this multi-dimensional universe that we call our own, that we call the body, <laughs> called the human being. Um, you know, all the fascinating, 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 um, unbelievable um, stuff that we are. And uh, how to correct things that we are, the illnesses that we have, um, the, uh, you know, all, any, everything that we need to um, strengthen ourselves, guide ourselves, it's all there. It's all within the finding the third eye, that eye of God that's within us that leads us to our spirituality. But I will say one thing. There are several things that open that mind, that third eye. One, of course, is um, certain estrogens. Marijuana is definitely an effective one. But more so than that, um, stop using fluoride. Sodium fluoride, or fluoridation of the water, fluoridation of toothpaste, fluoridation of food, and different things. These all calcify all designed to calcify that third eye and to cripple and blind the, the human being from seeing who he really is, what he is, why he is, okay? Um, the system, and I've talked about this before on other programs, but, you know, the system is not set for us to rise. It's, it's meant for us to control us. And as we ascend, and as ascension is upon us, more so the, the those who try to control us, those who wish to control us, our governments and corporations, and, uh, you know, madmen, <laughs> uh, all trying to um, keep a handle on us, but we can't, they can't, because we're rising, but remember, 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 anything that they give you, chemtrails in the skies, poisoning the atmosphere, pollution, but especially the water, uh, things that you're drinking, soda pop, uh, sugars, uh, you know, all of these things are designed to kill you. And all these artificial ingredients in your food, all this genetically modified stuff, it's all calcifying your third eye. It's all um, impeding your body. It's all, it's all Everything is destroying you. You know, it's very, very hard to break through, break away. Uh, you know, extremely hard to break away from it. But you must. You must. And the first way that you will, and the first the way that you can break away from it is understanding it, understanding that it's happening to you, knowing that it's happening to you, and cleaning your body, cleansing yourself, and cleansing that eye, that third eye, becoming aware of it, and um, we will go through some um, methods, okay, of opening that third eye, uh, how we'll practice, you know, 
everybody. Thank you for joining us again. And uh, I am uh, going to vow, uh, you know, aside from illness or aside from, you know, internet failure uh, like we've had in the past, um, we will be back next week. And uh, please join us for our Tuesday Wednesday programs, but uh, also our Thursday programs. And we try to keep you well informed. Thank you for uh, coming back. And please feel free to, to, to go back into our, I mean, we have on archive right now available to you as a listener. And we have thousands and thousands of listeners every, every uh, you know, coming to the our programs, our past programs, listening to the archive programs, the George Dixon programs, the Paris, and, and the news programs, because people are studying People are using our, our archives to study, uh, you know, uh, uh, historical events that have happened in the last uh, uh, 60 years or so, or not 60 years, at least, uh, well, uh, eight years. We've been on Blood Talk now for eight years. And, uh, um, of course, we've been on radio and TV for, this will be our 16th year, you know. So, thank you. Please. Uh, check out my 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 uh, website, lastoolshow.org, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the week. Good night.